Well, good morning, Grace people. Good morning to those of you who are watching in the sanctuary or watching online this morning. It's good to be with you today. Happy Reformation Sunday. I don't know what the appropriate response is to that other than also with you. Uh, but, uh, but it is Reformation Sunday. Uh, it's been over 500 years since Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany. And I am happy to report that the same Holy Spirit who began that work is still inviting followers of Jesus into the ongoing work of reforming his church and of being transformed in our personal lives. He is still alive. He is still at work. And as we celebrate the Reformation today, I want to be clear when I say that Martin Luther didn't reform the church. Now, that may come as a surprise to those of you who come to a Lutheran church that has Lutheran on the door, but Martin Luther didn't reform the church. The credit for reforming the church belongs to Jesus, the living word of God. In fact, Martin Luther believed this and declared it himself. He said, I did nothing. The word did it all. That was Martin Luther's own understanding of how the Reformation took place. He was a vessel, he was a servant, but at the end of the day, it was the word of God that accomplished the Reformation of the church. This is as true today <clears throat> as it was 500 years ago. Why is this so important for us to remember? Because it reminds us where the real power in the church lies. Where is the real power in the church? The power in the church is always and only the power of the word of God. That is where the power lies. The word of God, God's word. It's always been this way from the very, very beginning. As we've been working our way all the way through the narrative lectionary again, working our way through the story of scripture from beginning to end, this shows up again and again and again in the story. God formed the world with a word in Genesis 1. It says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and without form. And then God spoke. Let there be light. And there was light. And it was so. God's word formed the world. And then God formed his people with a word. He spoke a word to Abraham. Abram at the time spoke to him and said, out of you, Abram, I will create a people. I will do this. I will make a people out of you that will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. God spoke it. And in that word was truth and power. And from that word, God accomplished all he needed to do. And then from that word, God freed his people with a word. In Exodus, God speaks a word. He speaks a word to his servant and through his servant Moses, telling his people, I am the one who is going to set you free. God speaks it, it is true, and it is accomplished. That's the power of God's word. And then God ruled his people with a word. 
He established covenant and relationship with them. And in Exodus 19, 5 through 6, we hear some of the words of God as he declares this. He says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is God's promise. This is his covenant. He establishes his covenant. He gives commandments, instructs his people to obey them, and says, this is how this will work. By my word, I will sustain you, and you will be my people, and I will make you into a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Wow, thank you, God, for your word and the power of your word. And then... God entrusted his kingdom into the hands of earthly kings and priests, and they did what humans always do. They deformed it, divided it, distorted it, and made a mess out of it. Again, and again, and again, and again. This is the story of God's people and how they relate to God's word. God speaks it and it is so. God hands it over to us and it becomes so-so. Or worse than that. This is the story of Israel. And we tap into actually a portion of that story today. It's the story of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. I'm just gonna go over it briefly for you. It's in 1 Kings chapter 12. And it starts in this discussion about these two competing kingdoms. Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon, who was the son of David. David is one who establishes a kingdom as God establishes him and says, I will make a kingdom out of you, an everlasting kingdom, as long as you stay close to me and follow me and be, let me be your God and, and let your people be my people. He establishes it there. And then he has a son, Solomon. And Solomon sort of is following in the footsteps of David, but not so much. And as a result then, Solomon has a son, Rehoboam, and his son Rehoboam goes off the rails and starts to do things his own way. And so there comes along a rival, Jeroboam. So interesting that it's two names that sound so similar to one another. But Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and ultimately the kingdom splits because they lost sight of God's purpose and ignored God's word. They sought power and glory for themselves, and that always ends in ruin. Anytime God's people, be they kings or the lowest peasants, seek power and glory for themselves, it ends in ruin. And that's exactly what happens in the story. Everything that God forms gets deformed in the hands of sinners. Yet God continued to love his people and refused to give up on his plan to have a kingdom of priests and a holy nation because God keeps his word. God always keeps his word. And even in the midst of the, the destruction, the division of this kingdom into a, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, 
God continues to hold out hope, continues to extend to his people a promise that he will still be their king and the, and the promise that he gave to David that there would still be a king in the line of David. It's a promise, it's a whisper. Something that still gets kind of lost in the messiness of the story of the many, many kings that would come to follow in these two split kingdoms. God keeps his word. Now, what does this have to do with Reformation and with the Reformation Sunday? Well, God keeps his word, and he continues on through the story. You see, God sent his word in the flesh to be with us in Jesus. It moves from being just a written word to being a word in the flesh. This is how it's stated in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God keeps his word to his people. Throughout all of history and all of the story, he keeps his word. And from that living word, now in Jesus, God forms a church. God's word formed the church. Jesus said it in Matthew 16, 18. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That's God's word speaking. That's Jesus speaking and declaring the truth about his church, his church that he would establish by his word and in his power, all glory to him. So that's what he does. And God entrusted his church into the hands of earthly priests and leaders who did what humans always do. They deformed it. They divided it, distorted it, and made a mess out of it. They sought power and glory for themselves, and that always ends in ruin. Do you see the pattern? Do you see how this keeps showing up over and over and over again? That's why the church is always in need of reforming. Because it is entrusted to deformed people like you and like me. What's the problem? Well, you know, in the words of that great cultural prophet today, it's me, it's me. I'm the problem, it's me. Oh, I can hear the Taylor Swift fans out there. It's me, I'm the problem. And so are you. We are the problem. It shows up in my life in, in so many different ways. 
I'm trying to be a good leader. I'm trying to follow where Jesus asks me to go. But you know what? Leading and being a follower of Jesus, well, it's a lot like herding cats. I have two cats, two kittens now. I used to have one cat. Now I have two cats. Why do I have two cats? Because someone thought that was a good idea. Somebody read somewhere that it's better to get two kittens because they'll take care of one another and, and they'll learn to play well together and it'll, it'll just be better to have two kittens instead of one. Whose idea was this? Spoiler alert, mine. I thought this was a good idea. And for the most part, it's been pretty good until last week when we had to go have a particular kind of operation for each of my two cats to make sure that there are no more kittens, both of them at the same time. That's okay. After the surgery, the veterinarian said, it's okay, bring them home, take care of them. They're going to be pretty relaxed for the rest of today. You're just going to have to kind of monitor them and, and care for them and keep them separate and keep them from playing with one another and just, just kind of be tender with them. That lasted about 10 minutes when they got home. About 10 minutes in, these two creatures are scrambling all over the house. We are blocking off doorways to try and keep them from going anywhere, and it as it just turned out, the next day, I was home alone <laughs> with two kittens, trying to manage them, trying to keep them separate from one another, putting little collars around their necks. You know, the cones of shame? Oh, yeah, they love that. It was a disaster, not because they were doing anything different than what cats and kittens would do, but because I thought I had the power to control the situation. I would take care of it, and I would take the credit when it was all taken care of. The cats had other ideas. This is, this is just a microcosm of this reality for me. It's me, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me. So what do we do with this? <laughs> well, here's the thing. There have been many reform movements before the Reformation, and there have been many since. It continues on, and God keeps using sinful people like you and me to keep moving things forward. That's because God keeps his word, and he doesn't give up on his church because he loves us, and he is committed to establishing a kingdom of priests and a holy people to fulfill his mission. And he will not be stirred or deterred from that. But we must be mindful that the power and the glory aren't ours. They are only Jesus's. This kingdom has only one king. His name is Jesus, and he is the final word. He has all the power and is worthy of all the glory. Jesus is the word of God, and he always gets the final word on his church. We have to be reminded of this over and over again. 
but it's the truth. Jesus is the word of God, and he always gets the final word on his church. The church belongs to Jesus. It is his body and his bride. Now, nothing could be closer to his heart than his body and his bride. Think about these two metaphors that the Apostle Paul uses to describe Jesus and his church. That's the relationship. It is close. Jesus is close to his church. He wants the very best for us, and he doesn't want us to settle for anything less. That's why he nurtures and sustains his church with his word. He serves us with his body and blood through sacrifice and then points us out into the world with his example of what things look like in his kingdom where he gets all the power and the glory. It looks like this as he describes to his disciples in Mark chapter 10. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the kind of king that we have. He's not like any other earthly king or earthly ruler. And the power that he has is the power he uses to serve. And the glory that he has is revealed on the cross as he sacrifices himself for his church, for you and for me and for the entire world. That's the kind of king that we have. And friends, he has still not given up. He has not given up on his church. Jesus wants to reform this church and transform your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power that he gives to us through his word. His Holy Spirit. That's the power that transforms us and reforms his church. In 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 through 18, it says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the Spirit's work, the reformation and transformation of the church. So what do we do? What is our role as the church? How do we step into all of this? Well, there is only one thing that stands in the way of the transformation of your life and the reformation of our church. It's your unconditional surrender to Jesus. Your unconditional surrender to Jesus' unconditional love, 
is the only thing that can change the condition of your life and the condition of our community. That's it. We can't reform the church through the power of our will. We can try. Many have. No, we come unconditionally surrendering ourselves to Jesus and to his unconditional love, which is for his bride and his body, the church. Friends, if you've been here for a little while, you know that we are in a process right now of listening and learning and discerning, trying to seek out what the future holds for us as a congregation. And there will be many, many different ideas and many, many different opinions and many, many different agendas that emerge as a part of these opinions and these thoughts. And it's okay to have a variety of opinions and thoughts as long as those opinions and thoughts are ultimately unconditionally surrendered to Jesus. Because if they're surrendered to him, he will bring about something beautiful. He will bring about what he desires for his church because he cares about it even more than you and I do because it belongs to him. So what must we do? We must unconditionally surrender. We must surrender our agendas. We must surrender our opinions. We must surrender our preferences we must surrender our ownership. We must surrender our will. We must surrender our power and surrender our desire for personal glory. That's what we must do. And we declare that every week that we are together when we share the words of the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Because the closing words of the Lord's Prayer make it clear. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So often, I want it to be my kingdom and my power so that I can take the credit and get the glory for whatever it is that happens in my life. And I say that as a confession, knowing that many of us, if we're honest, struggle with those same realities. That's why we must declare it and then lay our lives before Jesus to unconditionally surrender ourselves to a good, good king and a good, good father who comes and sits among us, sits at table with us, shares of himself with us, to nurture us, sustain us, help us, encourage us, correct us, lead us. That's what we need. So let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let's lay ourselves before him in unconditional surrender. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, First, we acknowledge all those places and times and ways in which we want to have control and in which we want to take credit for our own lives. And we do that individually and then we do it corporately 
in expressing our preferences and desires and, and opinions and things that we want for our church, for my church. Lord, today, Jesus, we unconditionally surrender ourselves to you. We lay it all down at your feet, our preferences, opinions, personal agendas, our will, our seeking of power, our desire for glory. We lay them all at your feet, Jesus, because the church belongs to you. Do that reforming work in us together as a community by doing that transforming work inside of each of our hearts as your followers. Transform us, Jesus, to be more like you, to see things more like you, to see our neighbors the way you see them, to truly be your church. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of being in community together with you and with one another. We lay it all down. We do this, Jesus, in your name, declaring that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.